of YouTube jail. Yeah, I'm in YouTube jail. If you're watching it on YouTube, it's because it's in the future and I've uploaded this one. And I highly doubt this one would get me uh, thrown back in the clink at YouTube. We're going to be talking about uh, gardening this year. We're really going to be talking about fall and winter soil building uh, so that your garden is ready for spring. And we're going to talk about three distinctive ways that that can look. We're going to talk about it from the standpoint of you're actually going to garden into fall and winter for production to some level of some point, maybe with protection, maybe without. Or you're going to do a cover crop or we're going to do, you know, basically mulch and fertility additions and tarp and just leave everything sleep through the winter. And we're going to talk about how there's really not a wrong version of that. Right. That's not like, well, you know, if you do it this way, you're right. If you do it this way, you're wrong. There's like advantages and disadvantages to all of these. And really the only wrong answer. And it's not terrible, but it's just a bad idea because there is a way to do it that will be minimal for you and what you want to do in your life. So the only really wrong answer to me is to do nothing and just let weeds take over everything and, and then have to deal with that mess in the spring. Uh, so that we'll talk about that a little bit, too. We're going to talk again about the advantages and disadvantages of, of these three uh, distinct periods, and we're going to talk some about the things that you should be doing with them, and many of the, many of the things we're talking about you should be doing, it applies to all of them. So it doesn't matter which one you're doing, you would still, let's say, add for fertility, organic matter, compost, rock minerals. And so we're going to talk about that. I'm not really going to get into crops that are specific. <clears throat> I think this is going to become a, uh, like a series as we head into fall. And I know right now you're thinking, is this, is this guy lost his mind again? Well, I do this every year, guys. It'll be somewhere in the depths of Hades. And I'll say, we got to start thinking about fall. And the reason is that fall is right around the corner. I know it doesn't seem like that, especially if you're in like Texas, Southern Oklahoma, Western Louisiana right now, like that whole area up into the Midwest is Hades. It's going to be 106 today. It was 109 yesterday. Uh, I can see forward on the 10-day forecast. I don't have a day in the next 10 days that doesn't have a high in the triple digits. The lowest is next Tuesday, next Tuesday, I said, and the temperature is forecast to be 101 that far out from now, and it will probably be higher. That's why it's been lately. But we're also, <clears throat> this should make you feel better, should make you feel a lot better. We are 33 days away right now from the fall equinox this year. The fall equinox lands on September the 23rd. That's officially the first day of fall. And there will be a significant shift for most people between now and that date, and then more shift as we cross over that date and we go from equinox to heading toward our winter solstice. And this means there are certain things that we need to be thinking about right now. Some of them we won't really be talking about today. But let's say that you, uh, you want to take kind of the production uh, model that I'm going to do today. Or maybe you want to do the cover crop with some production mixed into it. And some of that might involve pre-starting some plants so that they're far enough along to make it into maturity before the real cold weather gets here. For most of you, that means you should probably be putting seeds in starter cups somewhere around September 1 to September 20, depending on where you live. At the latest, September 20. At the absolute latest. For some of you, maybe next week. So even though we're not even talking about seed starting for fall, just all you have to do is look at your your average first frost date and anything that you need really mature before then. You look how long it takes, start counting backwards, exactly the opposite of what we do in spring. So we'll be talking about all of that and more in just a minute. Before we do, let's hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is KnifeKits.com. KnifeKits is, might be, I'm not sure, if I know they weren't our first sponsor. But they might be the oldest active sponsor that we have. I know they go back 13 and a half years that they have stood by and supported this show. You should check them out if you've never done so. They make it easy for anybody to make a knife, even me, even me, even I could do it. And they just have a lot of really cool options. They have synthetic handle materials. They have natural handle materials, bone, 
mammoth tusk, all kinds of cool stuff, blanks. It, it's it's kind of like, you know, a model kit. Remember when you were a kid, you made a battleship or a car or something, like a model kit for grown-ups making knives. But even kids can do this. They also have all the stuff you need for making sheaths, leather or kydex. You can make holsters. Really cool stuff. Sanding belts, buffing wheels, polishing compounds, epoxy, all of it. Check them out today at knifekits.com. Remember, they do a discount for MSB members. Next up today, um, God, this sponsor's close to 10 years. They've been with us. Bullhammo.com. All the ammo you need, you'll find it in bulk with great pricing and lightning-fast shipping. I hear people say all the time, you're right. Like, I ordered it, and it got to my house so fast. When the guy showed up from the post office or whatever, I, I was like, what is that? Because he just didn't expect it to be as quickly taken care of as it is. But that's how they do business at BulkAmmo.com. All the ammo you need in bulk. And, again, MSB members, you guys get a discount. All you have to do is uh, get the discount code from your back office in the MSB and uh, get discounts to both of these companies and many of our other sponsors and about 70 other companies. So be a good time to say then, if you uh, if you – have not yet become a member of the MSB, please consider doing so because it really does pay for itself with all these great discounts and you can help support us and get your money back. And that's a really easy way to do things. All right. Little technical challenge there had me a little off timing, but we've got it worked out now. So let's start off with, yeah, we're heading to fall. I know it doesn't feel like it. And a quick reminder, those of you that are on rumble, it seems to be a pretty good head count over there. I do have a screen open for the live chat on Rumble. If you're on Facebook and you use the live chat feature, I will see it, but I can only respond verbally. I cannot communicate directly back to you, and and uh, so you know that. And then if you are on Twitch, you will come into the back office of StreamYard where I can see and communicate directly. Just So if you have questions on any of those platforms, I will see them. Put the word question in all caps, and I'll try to do some Q&A at the end of today. But I see you guys over there on Rumble looking good. All right. So we have three primary good options. And I, I really hesitate to say that any of them are better because what we really are concerned about is do I build some fertility over winter? Is my garden in good shape when I go to start things up in the spring? Or am I out there sweating and breaking sod and, and busting my ass and cussing and saying, why did I let this happen? That's what we're really do. Do we have a good garden to plant into in the spring? And did something help improve our fertility over that rest period? So how you want to do it is up to you. And again, we have growing and gardening late into the season. And then at the end of that, you do have to start thinking like, do I want to go ahead and tarp it? Do I want to just heavily mulch it? Whatever. But you can make your garden productive all the way through the season. The other way is to put down a cover crop. And this would be things like winter legumes and things like that that fix nitrogen, et cetera. We'll get into it in just a second. But basically, the purpose of the cover crop is to keep the soil somewhat active. There's a lot of bio biology in the soil that unless there's roots there for it to interact with living roots, it goes to sleep, it dies, it goes away. Right now, it always comes back if we take good care of our ground. But having that active root system in there is really valuable. But the big thing a cover crop does is cover the bare earth. And what that means is it's much more difficult for weeds, grasses, et cetera, that make our life miserable in the spring to grow because it chokes everything else out, hence cover crop. And then the last one is we take a tarp or uh, we can use a weed blocker or what have you, and we just cover everything. And we do some other things I'll talk about in a minute. And the, 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 the big advantage there is we'll put, put everything to bed. We know we're going to have a really great planting media in the spring we're not gonna have to do a lot of work and once we get that done for the season we are literally done for the season there is no maintenance whatsoever so what i did last year it's not what i'm going to do this year i'll tell you what i'm going to do this year when we get to it but again none of these are bad it has a lot to do with analyzing what do you want from your garden through the winter do you want a break do you want to just not have to even look at it do you want to have some feed for livestock? Do you want some yield for yourself, but maybe not going out there with row covers and stuff like that and trying to be uber productive? You just want, you know, something out of it. Or do you want to be able to have very low maintenance, but do the maximum you can to build fertility with a cover crop? It's all up to you. And then you have to factor into it, well, what is winter where you are? 
Where I am, I can plant something like Austrian winter pea, and in all but the harshest, rare, you know, one in 20 year winters, everything is going to live all the way through. So if I plant appropriate crops, they're going to not winter kill. That can be good. Can be bad. It's kind of cool to do a cover crop and have it eventually winter kill and then just roll it over and use it as mulch, right? Uh, and Joe with fish is saying, is there no one else in this chat? And you're on Twitch, bro. I don't know. I don't know how many people are on Twitch, but I will tell you there are about 30 over on Rumble. So maybe you can jump over there if you want to engage with some folks. All right. So let's start off with extending your productive season and what that looks like. And what I mean by that is we're going to keep things growing and we're going to plant winter crops, you know, somewhere in September, October. Maybe we're going to put down some protection for them, and we're going to try to maintain a good garden yield into winter and maybe even through winter, depending on where we are. So the advantages of this is that, one, by having growing plants in the ground for as long as your season will allow it, you have those symbiotic relationships between the soil life and the root systems. Now, one thing to understand is it will only be so active, especially in really cold climates, because as the temperature of the soil goes down, the biological activity in the soil slows down and can come to almost a standstill. But if you're in a lot of places like here in the south, we will get days, maybe a week in January, where we're in the 80s. And it's not common, but it happens. But we get plenty of times with 60s and 70s, and that soil temperature comes up. And by having those plants in there, we're going to get a lot more biological activity than if they weren't. So we get the biological activity. And, of course, we get the yield. We get the yield. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to have free food, basically, right? And the longer, for longer we can run our gardens uh, across the year, the more total yield we get and the more value you were getting from the garden – and some of us have different times of year that are difficult. Actually, here, winter growing with plants that can handle a freeze is actually really easy. What's not easy is right now. Right now, my plants are in a weird form of I don't want to die, but I don't want to live stasis. Kind of like most people are here right now. You don't want to go outside. It's like going on a foreign planet outside or something right now. So the plants, because it's so hot, are going to struggle with certain nutrient exchanges in our heat uh, of this time of year. Once you're over, you, know, you stay throughout the day over 96 degrees. That process begins to degrade, even if you're well watered, even if you have good soil, the plant simply is miserable. And so when we come out of this a couple weeks from now, when we get our days that are in the 80s, everything is literally going to explode out there if they didn't die. So for me, this is a really great time to be thinking about how do I extend that? If you're in a climate like where I grew up in Pennsylvania, this is glory right now. I mean, you, everything's exploding and blowing and going, and you will get when the weather cools a little bit before it gets to a frost. You'll get some more explosive growth and explosive production, but you can basically produce all year or all summer long in like a zone six. So you have to make these determinations based on your situation and how much you want to fight the winter and how much it gives you by doing so if you want to be productive. This advantage, it requires effort. It requires work. One of the things I like about mostly just shutting things down one way or another, whether it's a cover crop or a tarp method in the winter, is, well, we head into Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and the holiday period. I do my show shut down between Christmas and New Year's. I spend a lot of time with family. It's nice to just not have a lot of work to do in the garden. So the disadvantage then is if you're going to do it, you have to put effort into it. And in some climates, you know, you might have to put significant effort into it. It may require equipment, uh, low tunnels. I had some, I have some on the website. If you just look up tunnels at the survival podcast, you'll see the ones I reviewed. They worked really well, but it's another thing you have to do. You have to provide some level of protection. you got to keep an eye on the weather. I've seen people, you know, I put out a bunch of hot water bottles under my low tunnels and it got me through. Yeah, but you have to do that. So there's an effort level that's required. And if your crops are eventually killed off and you had more of your conventional garden crops with, you know, proper spacing and everything, 
instead of a, a hard-knit cover crop, when they die, if you're not on it with some other step, like you go out there and now you, you, you throw down a bunch of mulch and you tarp it or something like that, if you don't do that, then your early weeds will invade your garden and you'll be right back in that same situation had you done nothing at all when it comes to spring. In fact, it may be worse than having done nothing because since the biological activity was higher, the weed activity can end up being more intense, especially if you live places like here where one of our main invasive weeds isn't really a weed. It's a grass, uh, Bermuda grass. And it, if it gets, you know, gets its runners in there early and it grows in cold weather, man, you can have just like you didn't do anything at all, like you just let it go, which, you know, that's what we did when I was a kid a lot. I think it's because they had kids like me with shovels to do the work. Um, I did not. I learned a lot from my grandfather uh, on my dad's side and my grandmother on my mom's side about gardening. I did not learn what we're talking about right now. Both my grandmother on one side, my grandfather on the other side, their philosophy was, we'll deal with that in spring. Don't do anything. And uh, having had to double dig all those beds that my grandfather had so many times as a teenager, I wish we would have. I would have known this because I would have done it even if he didn't ask me to. Because uh, it just makes your life so much easier. So make sure that you have a plan if you're going to just do production through. If that doesn't mean all the way through, if there's going to be an eventual point where you surrender to the weather, there needs to be one of these other techniques implemented. And the issue is the one we're going to go on to next with cover cropping may not be very feasible that late in the year. And you may have to go to a mulch and tarp or something like that at that point. So now let's talk about cover crop. This is actually my favorite one. And what I like is a cover crop with small bits of production in it so that there's something there I can take if I want, but I don't have to. And we're going to, again, we're going to do another episode in this series. And uh, when we do, we'll talk about crops for this approach. Think, but I'll give you a few right now. You know, green onion would be a great crop. A lot of lettuces, if they mature, they'll handle even a significant freeze. Not a super hard one. 28, 29 degrees for a couple hours. They'll might even look a little unhappy, but they'll they'll bounce right back. So lettuces, carrots, any kind of uh, winter tuber crop, daikon radish, etc. All of these things are great cover crops that also have a yield that we can take here and there. I mentioned winter pea. Winter pea is one of my absolute favorite things to grow, like an Austrian winter pea uh, or what have you. Now, the peas are fine to eat. I think there's this mythology that these particular um, peas are, like, different than other peas, and they're really not. Like, Austrian winter peas are delicious, and they can be eaten if you pick them young. The whole pod's like a snow pea, and they're very good. But there's another really cool, like, grazing component to winter pea. Um, the little tendrils, you just pluck those off, and they're delicious. The whole pea plant um, of this type of pea, anyway, there are some peas that you don't do this with, but this type of pea... The whole plant is edible. So we can come up with a good cover crop mix that's designed to put nitrogen into the garden. But we can put other plants in there, like uh, cutting celery, like fennel. And many of these plants will then, you know, like celery can still be there going into our spring garden time. Swiss chard. So I don't want to go too many varieties, but there's a lot of stuff that in southern climates especially will get through the winter. And out the other side in most seasons. And we can still have that cover crop down. Now, what are the advantages? Number one, it keeps as much soil life going as possible. It absolutely, because we have this diverse, incredibly deep root system. That, by the way, when we terminate its growth, either we let it winter kill, uh, we just chop and drop it and plant and let other things take over. It's going to leave this massive amount of organic matter into the garden. There is minimal maintenance. You don't have to do a lot. Um, generally speaking, irrigation requirements, even in winter, go way down to non-existent. I will probably stop watering here sometime in October unless we have a really dry stretch. And I won't water again until spring planting. That's even in this climate. So there's not a lot to be done when you plant a cover crop. There's a little bit more work and a little bit more expense than just the tarp and walk away method. Um, again, you can get a bit of production from it. You can get significant production. It's all about how much you want to do. And if you do have a cover crop 
the UV that are designed to winter kill or just you get an extensively harsh winter and what you didn't think was going to winter kill winter kills. It's great. It's great because what happens is you end up with this mass of dead growth and you can literally just, you can take a roller and roll it or you can just push it down. You can walk it down and make like a tatami mat out of it. And once you've done that, you've created a lot of weed suppression and you've also created a great mulch. And when you're ready to plant in spring, you're probably just going to throw some compost on top of it, pull it open, plant down below that mat layer. And when you get your planting done, then you put whatever mulching up between your plants that you want. It's, it's, it's really, like I said, none of them are wrong, but it's probably the most productive method if you expect good production from your garden in spring into summer and then your early fall of that same season. And, yeah, that's kind of why... That's really my hot spots for production, and that's why I like this method. Um, it can add nitrogen. Again, if you're using winter peas, vetches, other uh, leguminous winter-suitable crops, they can put a tremendous amount of nitrogen yield into the soil because our legumes form a symbiosis with particular bacterium, and that's those little white nodules you'll see on peas and beans and things like that. And that can put a massive amount of nitrogen into the soil. It creates organic matter, a, a bunch of organic matter. So, you, you know, you, a couple handfuls of seed of this mix, and you end up with, you know, literal hundreds of pounds maybe wet of the wet uh, organic matter weight of the stuff. If you've ever cut down even, let's say, a 12-foot-long by 4-foot-wide bed of a good, heavy uh, cover crop that's gotten up, you know, a foot, foot and a half, two foot high. It's a lot of material. And that can either be just dropped straight onto the bed, or it can be used as a mulch, or it can be used as a livestock feed, or some combination thereof. And you may be able to provide some livestock feed with this. So here's another example. If you live in a place where you're going to do well with wheat growing through the winter or barley or some sort of grain that will have seed heads on it about the time you want to plant. Well, you can take a rice knife and cut all those seed heads, let them dry out in the spring, use those for feed for your birds, and then drop the rest as a straw mulch down onto the bed. And now you're not worried, hey, did I get contaminated straw or something like that with a you know, graze-on spray on it or something? Because you grew it. So it has a tremendous amount of advantage when we look at it that way. It does have some disadvantage. You will get minimal human production this way. You're not going to get the kind of production if you did a dedicated vegetable winter garden with protection and things like that. Again, you might get some turnips or some greens or some beets or some green onion or whatever, but you're not going to get intensive, heavy managed production for, for your own food. And depending on your decisions – as to what you use as a, a cover crop, you may have to do some significant sod busting in the spring. In my climate, for instance, I'm going to give you a plant that I really love what it does, but I would really have to think twice before I ever put it in my garden again for a cover crop. And that is white Caius oat. This stuff makes huge roots, and it's this big, tall grass. And it makes it through our winter no problem. And it eventually will summer kill. It will heat kill. It gets too hot for it, and it's, it goes away. But it is a bitch at the time of the year when I'm expecting the most out of my garden, and now it's competing for nutrient with the plants that I'm trying to grow for food. To pull it out, you end up pulling clods out the size of like a cow's head with it. So if I were to use it, I would use it much more sparingly instead of big clumps of it, you know, maybe a couple, you know, white scattering with other plants but it it grows as a clump or not a runner but it expands really really quick in this climate so i wouldn't use that but if i were in pennsylvania where i grew up i might use that that might be a fantastic crop because i it is going to get the crap knocked out of it in the deepest part of winter and it probably would winter kill i don't have experience with it so if you do you want to point uh, pop up with you know where does white caius oat get winter killed, let us know. Let us know. Um, and again, you can just scythe it down. The problem is, for me anyway, in my early season, it just keeps growing back. 
And I basically end up mowing grass in my garden, and that's not what I'm looking for. So you need to be careful with your decisions on this because you may end up doing some sod busting or dealing with this growth if you use something that's maybe complicated to deal with. So you need to think, like, what is the state of this cover crop going to be when I do my first of the year planting? Because we don't want to, I don't want to till. I, I specifically practice no-till gardening. It's what I recommend. If you're going to till, it's less of a deal, especially if you have like a little rototiller or something like that. Now, let's talk about the tarp and cover the beds and let them fully rest. Big advantage. You don't got to do jack diddly crap once you've done it. And for most of us, you know, if you're growing a big, like, market garden or something, you probably already got this skin. Most of the people that listen to this podcast, their garden is a piece of what they do. It's not the only thing they do. And they'll have something like four or eight raised beds. And if you're following what I teach, no matter whether they're in the ground, whether they're timber-framed raised beds, they're using concrete block, the galvanized ones we've been talking about lately, whatever it is, they're four foot wide. So if we buy something like four foot wide weed blocker, well, they just roll it out and pin it down and walk away. And that's exactly what we did here last year. That's exactly what we did at the workshop last year. This year at the workshop, which will be November 1 through 5, tickets will go on sale next month in September. You will know several weeks in advance the exact Saturday that they go on sale if you want to come. But we're going to do a cover crop method. So if you were here last year and you want to come again and learn another method, we can do that. Or if you want to learn this method, particularly this year, uh, see, you know, try to make sure you get to come if you can uh, get a ticket when they go on sale. But it's once and done. And last year, I just didn't want to deal with anything through the winter that I didn't have to. I wanted to buy myself time to think, for God's sakes. Uh, it was a rough few years leading up to that. We've just come out of the, all the COVID crap and everything, and I wanted, I wanted a mental respite. So I wanted nothing. So that was the approach we took. Um, next, it allows for heavy amendments and great soil in your spring. If you do it right, when you plant in spring, I mean, I'm always going to throw down some compost and some other stuff, but you, in theory, should to pull your tarps off, do your planting, do your mulching if you mulch, and you're, you're just good to go. Everything's in there. Everything's active and happy, and, and your tilth should be beautiful. You should be able to... You pull a tarp back and you do what we're about to talk about as how you handle all these methods. You really stick your hand down well below your wrist with no shovel, no nothing. And if you've ever, I'm going to say, if you ever did what my grandfather did to me and you had to come out to your garden beds and that beautiful soil that you remember from last season at the end of the season is compacted and hard and a bitch to dig up. This is a much better option than that. Okay. Um, it also allows for heavy amendments, and again, you, when you have that tarp down and all those amendments, as you're getting to where you're going to do your planting, and you start getting your warmer days, but it's still cold at night, that tarp, especially if it's black, will absorb heat and start to warm the ground up faster, leading to where you can plant earlier, assuming there's not enough cold that you get top killed. So you get an earlier start of advanced biology in your soil. The, the biology starts moving when the temperature goes up. Soil life is really happy. It, it is varies. There's stuff that's really active at 65 degrees and stuff that's really active at 85 degrees. But that's kind of your, your Goldilocks, like 60 to 80 degrees. That temperature of soil is when everything overall is pretty happy. And the, the, the thing about that is, let's say that the first inch of your soil is 80, like it's that, gotten that warm, it's still 60 degrees, just a couple inches deeper. So you get this temperature gradient, but you get warm zones earlier with the TARP method. In fact, even if you didn't do the TARP method, this is a strategy for early season gardening is to lay down black TARPs with openings just to plant and warm that ground faster. It absolutely works. It absolutely, again, I think one of the things people need to understand is fertility is great, but fertility minus life doesn't do much for you, especially when you're doing an all-natural uh, permaculture-style garden where we're not using uh, synthetic fertilizers that are designed to be absorbable in the absence of life. 
all the things that we do, the life in the soil is more important than the total NPK or nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium values. So whenever you buy fertilizer, you'll see something on it like 5, 10, 5 or something like that. And that's just that NPK ratio. That's all that is. And so people think if I throw enough fertility on it, everything will be great. But not necessarily if we're using organic fertilizers and things like that, if we are not also taking care of the life in the soil. That's why compost tea does what it does. If you've ever brewed up some compost tea and drenched the ground and sprayed the, sprayed the plants with it, especially if it's not 110 degrees when you do it like it is right now, and you see this explosive response from it, if you do the math on the nutrient, at best you're at like a 111, right, and that's in the concentrate, and then you've diluted it, like there is not enough nutrient in there to account for the response we get from it. It's the life. It's the fungi and the bacteria. There's so much nutrient in well-maintained soil. The key is, can the plant get it? So we want to enhance life. So that's, that's one of the really great things about doing this and getting that ground to, one, the ground will stay warmer longer, and then on the other end, it will warm up faster. That's more life. That's more breakdown. That's more activity. That's nicer soil. All right, so... What are the disadvantages? There's very little root in the soil. Now, you have whatever you grew. I always say do not pull your plants out of the ground. If you were here last year when we did ours and we did the tarp method last year, we just cut everything to the ground. Some stuff we took away because maybe it had some disease or blight on it, but mostly we just laid everything down and tarped over it. So that's another hit of organic matter that was going into the soil there. And we left those roots to decompose, but there's no active living roots in the soil. So the life that's dependent is either going to die off or go dormant. And it's really more a dormant thing than a die off thing. Um, I mean, you got to think these, these soil critters have adapted to living through winter where even if there is root in the soil, there's not as much and it's not as active. It's not as alive. So these critters can make it through. They're just not really doing anything uh, during this period of time. Uh, you get no production. You get no production into your fall and winter at all because your bed is just a tarp. So you get nothing out of it. And you don't get any organic matter yield. No matter what you do other than this, you get some organic matter yield. Whether it's appropriate winter crops, there's organic matter yield, and those roots die off, and, and that's more root in the soil. Cover crop, it's obvious how we get more organic yield. Now, which one of these should you do? I don't know. I have no idea. And, and Joe with fish says that those decomposing roots feed the mycorrhizal fungi. That is true to a degree because that stuff is also dependent on temperature. But, yes, like mycorrhizal fungi, uh, actually, really not, 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 so, not so much. Let's, let's, let's change that a little bit. There are fungi in the soil food web that are active decomposers of those root systems. But there are other fungi that are symbiotic fungi that attach to those roots and have a nutrient exchange. And some of those are not going to be very uh, capable of breaking down and using those roots once they die. Some will, some won't. So there is fungal activity one way or another. So here's what I think you should do. You should figure out which one of these works for you based on your goals, your budget, your needs, your climate. And then I'm going to give you all the things that can be considered to be done. Some are not appropriate for other techniques, and that will help you figure it out. So number one, I've you know got really into biochar this year. To me, this is a fantastic time to add biochar no matter what you're doing. And the reason being is it has time to take up nutrient and to build that coral reef effect in your soil before spring and your heavy production comes. If we are going to do this with a cover crop, then we're going to do a lot of legumes and we're going to do a lot of, you know, something in kind of the grass family usually for organic matter. So we do a wheat, a triticale, a rye, something like that. Your root crops like turnips and daikon 
they're really not going to suffer from any form of nutrient deficiency due to that initial take up of the biochar, even if it's not fully inoculated. I think it should be inoculated, then you don't worry about it at all. But even if it was only partially inoculated, you're in pretty good shape. We're also going to put down, in a minute I'll talk about it, a good um, organic fertilizer at this point. And so that's going to offset any of the problems with the biochar take up. So what we can then do is we lay down, instead of digging it in or anything, we're just going to lay down a layer of biochar. And we're going to let the soil creatures do the work of incorporating it through the winter. So I think it's a fantastic time for that. I think you should add compost. And then you should add more compost. Like this is, to me, the best time of year to put compost into the garden. Uh, it gives this great kickstart of biological activity. I want you, if you do what I do and you make large amounts of compost through one cycle a year, so I make it once, it is a great idea to reserve a top dressing of your compost for spring. Put that somewhere tarped and, and, and kept moist through the spring. Um, if you're you, if you have uh, a multiple compost uh, cycle and you know you'll have compost in the spring, you can use as much as you can fit. But put compost on it and then add more compost to it. I, I don't think you can have too much organic matter. If you're cover cropping, then my preference has always been compost goes down, cover crop goes down, scatter mulch on top of the compost and the seed, and usually that's enough cover. If you're doing certain things, though, you have to think a little bit more. So, for instance, carrot, carrot tends to need a little bit of light to germinate. So if you put down all of your cover crops that don't need light to germinate, you can then push them into the soil a little bit, into that compost layer a little bit. Then you can top with, let's say, your carrot, and then you scatter mulch. Now, what I mean by scatter mulch is we're not talking about, you know, six inches of mulch. We take something like a good straw from a known source. And we just barely cover it. And that means light can get through to those light-sensitive germinating seeds, right? But you, you put that scatter mulch on top, and then we don't need that heavy mulch of weed suppression because the cover crop itself is going to become that for us as it grows. And when I do a cover crop, I mean, I want it to look like a mat, a messy mat of stuff. I don't want – once that's up and growing and the plants have got, you know – 10% of their adult size. By then, it should look like a weird lawn. Um, next, you're going to want to add fertility, in my opinion. And you're going to want to do it again in the spring. Some of it will just still be there, residual. Some of them will get consumed by soil life. But it will all enhance everything. My favorite fertilizer for doing this is made by Dr. Earth. It's the 444, four parts nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. And we have a discount, 10% off all products at Dr. Earth. I buy once a year a 50-pound bag of it, and I use it everywhere for everything. It has not just that NPK ratio. Uh, it's made with guano and poultry manure and a bunch of other stuff, but it's also got a, a significant amount of colony-forming bacteria and beneficial fungi. And so it's kind of an all-in-one. I do other things. You guys can look my fertility uh, program up on my website. Go there and search for fertility. Find any per, uh, any post with fertility. And I'll add a link to the show notes for this to make it easier for today's episode, 3358. But if you click on any of my items in the fertility program, there is a tag at the bottom of every post, a series of tags, fertility program, and you can see everything in it. But to me, in the fall, this is something I don't want to skip where I'm probably not going to be doing a soil drench in the fall for a cover crop with carrot juice, which I'm definitely going to do in the spring, if that makes sense. Um, next, this is a great time for mineral supplements as well. What I think you have to realize is during the kind of go-to-sleep phase and then the wake-up phase as the soil temperatures are changing and all, lots of soil life is going to go, let's call it ape shit in your soil. And all kinds of little critters are boring up and down. Worms are boring up and down and things like that. So this is a great time of the year where if we put this stuff in the spring, and I'm not saying I don't add some in the spring. When I do a spring planting, I put amendments into the hole that the plant goes into. Or if it's a seed, you know, I poke a hole for the seed to drill a seed hole, put a pinch of the stuff in and put the seed right in there with it. Sure. But you got to get those mineral supplements, everything into the soil 
so that the plant can interact with them at the root level because it doesn't interact with them at the surface level, right? But if we put all these, you know, things like basalt or green sand or other rock minerals or kelp meal and things like that into the soil, even on the surface in the fall, by the time spring comes, there's been enough earthworm activity. And earthworms eat this stuff. If it's like a fine ground rock mineral, an earthworm looks at that the way that your chicken looks at oyster shell. It goes inside the worm and it helps grind things up. And that worm is going to go and make its little poop castings at different layers. So even though you've laid this kind of thin layer of, of, of mineral uh, supplementation on the, on the relative surface of your soil, and to me, I like to put this down before the compost. So that goes down, biochar goes down, compost goes down, and then a scatter mulch or a tarp. And either, you know, no matter how you do it, there's no real wrong way to do that. That's just my preferred order. If you have worm activity, you're going to get a complete tillage, a natural tillage instead of our very unnatural tillage of this stuff through your winter and into your spring. So it'll all be there and ready for you. If you're cover cropping, decide on what you want. Think about it. Do I want a crop that's going to winter kill in my climate? Well, you need to make sure then that you look at, well, what temperature does this plant get killed by cold at. And if you don't go below that temperature, it's not going to get winter killed. That's not bad. It just is. If you want the first thing, you ain't going to get it if you don't do that. And by the way, over here, Willbill85 says white oak dies at about 10 degrees Fahrenheit. And so I've definitely had uh, winters with it getting colder than that. But when I've used it, I've never had that. Um, and I, I'm not so sure, Will. Um, that might be what the book says. And maybe if you have a sustained uh, temperature below 10, but I guarantee you we had temps below 10 when we lived up in Arkansas. And I, I don't remember it killing my white oak. So I guess it also has microclimates and stuff like that. That's another thing to think about. That's actually a really good point that I didn't have in my notes. Your garden is a microclimate by the fact that it's a garden. So, you can have things that make your garden colder or hotter than the surrounding area, and you need to kind of factor that into a degree as well. Um, if you want late winter kill, like I said, you need to figure out, well, what's going to do it, and kind of time it. When do we usually get these really cold temperatures? Because there's a, there's a lot to be said for a cover crop that will naturally winter kill in January or February. You're going to be planting in March to April, you have this mass, it all died, and it just choked everything out. There's also something to be said for having that cover crop, that at least some of those plants make it all the way through to spring. As long as they're not going to really compete with your spring crops, there's nothing wrong. In fact, it's, I prefer it. And you can take something like one of the little sickles that we recommend from uh, Glittering Bazaar, little Turkish pruning knives, and you can just prune around them until the heat kills them. But let me say that if you're going to take this approach, and it's almost impossible not to get this right. If it will make it through winter in most of the country, it will die in the summer and early, even late spring of most of the country. So a lot of these plants that will make it through, the, you know, they're, they're like, I could live a lot longer. But those temperatures get up in the 80s. They're like, oh, boss, I'm out. I'm out. That's actually my preference, though, is to bring these plants all the way through so that I'm co-planting. Now I've got a warming soil in spring. I've got all this biological activity. My legumes are happy now. They got the rhizobacterium thing going on. They're making nitrogen, but they're about to die. So they're like, hey, woohoo, temperature's perfect now. We got through the cold. Now I can make some nitrogen. And old man Summer's going, yeah, enjoy that while you have the time to do it because I'm fixing to kill you. But when they die, all those nodules become bioavailable to the plants that I've co-planted with. So that's that's what I'm going to do this year. And again, the one thing I will avoid is Caius Oat because I don't expect it to die, and I do expect it to be these giant clods when you come around the other side of it. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, if you are productive cropping, I suggest you pick the plants that need the least 
or no protection in your winter. I think if you really want to garden through winter, and you want high production through winter, then a greenhouse with some capacity for active heating when necessary is probably best for the most people. If you live here, you can do fairly well with things like row covers. I'll just say that it's one more thing to do, and what usually happens is, okay, great, you got the row covers on. Especially if you're using a plastic, a clear plastic row cover, you end up having to actually take them off, not just to do harvest and maintenance. You have to take them off most days because it gets too hot in there for your appropriate crops for that time of the season. And they only do so much to protect at nighttime. So if it is 28 degrees outside of a row cover at night, it's 28 degrees inside the row cover at night. There may be some residual heat in the soil that helps a little bit. But overall, if it would die outside, it will die inside. What the row covers tend to do is to give you a better heat uh, level during the daytime. And the plants keep actively growing and they simply survive the evening. So you're not going to grow peppers here under row covers in the winter. They're going to freeze and they're going to die. But you can take crops here like some of the crops that, like I grew in Pennsylvania, that grew all summer long, like broccoli, do terrible. If you try to grow broccoli in our winter, it survives, but it doesn't thrive. You put it under row covers, it's a whole different thing. You just have to adjust. And one of the ways you can mitigate this is you get cloth white row covers that look a light through, but they breathe. And you tend to have less problems with plants getting too hot with them during our warm summer days. So you have to figure out what you want to do. But the best thing to do for production is to pick things that need no real protection. And there are a lot of plants in a lot of the country that they don't grow a lot in winter, but they don't die. Again, here would be things like lettuces and broccolis and stuff like that. They just kind of go into almost a stasis in our coldest part of the year, unless we get a super, super hard freeze. And so then they kind of like you're keeping them alive in the refrigerator is the way to look at it. But you got to figure out what you want there. And again, um, there is only one wrong answer, in my opinion here. Just one. And that is. That is doing nothing. I think this is the one big mistake that you can make with how do you handle your garden through the winter. It's just saying, screw it. If the year's over, drop everything to the ground or just leave it there, and I'll deal with it in March or April. Inevitably, what ends up happening is not just is it a pain in the ass. You get a later start than you should, and your plants are not well established when the summer heat begins. Um, and you get less production through that whole year. You've lost it because inevitably what happens is a busy time of year. Right. You got, you know, spring break and you know, coming out of winter and spring cleaning. And a lot of people take trips during this time of year and what have you. And so when you look out at your garden and you're like, oh, that's going to be a pain in the ass. I'll do it next weekend. I'll do it next week. And all of a sudden, you're two, three weeks past your optimal planting time. Additionally, you've had all these weed seeds from your early growth, drop into your garden. And the ones that haven't germinated will when the temperature gets right for them. Where if we've kind of suppressed that growth using any of these methods up to that point, we're in good shape. And just the, the easiest method is to put down all your amendments and throw down a tarp or weed blocker. And then just pull it up, roll it up, stick it away when it comes time to plant, and plant into the ground. Let's, let's think about this. We haven't done a complicated thing like a cover crop. We haven't tried to do winter production. All we did was tarp. Now it is, I don't know, March 15th is a pretty good planting date here. And you look out at your garden, and there's nothing but a tarp, and there's no weeds, and the soil's easy to plant in. And all you got to do is go roll it up and put your plants in. Or you got look at it and you go, oh, man, my back's going to need some Advil tonight. I'm going to have to dig this crap up and get this ready to go, and I'm going to have to fight weeds. And are you going to do it this weekend or not? You're much more likely to do it this weekend in the TARP model 
than in the weed choked out model. And so to me, this is something to think about right now and make a decision what you want to do. And, and I would, I would put it to you this way. Let's say, you know what? I think I'm thinking about this and I think Jack's made a good case for cover cropping, but I'm going to be really busy. This is a new thing for me. Maybe it's my first or second year gardening and I don't know what to do. Carpet. If you're going to delay getting your cover crop into the ground and it's not going to reach a point of maturity when winter comes to where it can be effective, then you're better off tarping it, period. And if you you have a four or six beds, this is is a one-beer job, especially if they're four foot wide and you're using a four-foot weed blocker. So you guys have any questions, go ahead and get them in. I've only got one over here right now. Uh, Bonnie Blue says, will black weed barrier be enough to warm? Yes, maybe. Where are you? Um, I've found that things like black plastic tend to warm the ground more. So like the black stuff they use for vapor barriers and things like that, that works better because it's non-porous and it will bring temperature up more. But what else doesn't it do? It doesn't allow moisture to soak through it. So if we don't do a real good job of getting a good moisture layer underneath it and we don't have good permeation from the sides, it can dry out. But a, a black plastic tarp will warm the ground more than a porous black tarp. But both will warm the ground to a great degree. Uh, that's the only question I got, so I guess we're going to wrap up with a uh, shorter than normal episode here, unless any more come in. Again, there's almost 50 of you guys over there on uh, uh, on uh, on Rumble, so I'll give you a couple more moments. And Bonnie says, Southern Oklahoma. Yeah, either will work. Your winter is going to be harsher than mine. So it's all about how much warm you want and need based on what you're trying to do. So you'll get plenty of warm-up in early spring with a black weed blocker, plenty of warm-up. You will you would get more, again, with plastic. Well, when do you want to plant? How much do you really need? And is it really that important? You know, that, that's all things you have to make a decision on yourself. I don't see any more questions. So I think we'll wrap up there. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I'm hoping to be back on ScrewTube tomorrow. Uh, ScrewTube says I have one day left in my uh, my my YouTube jail. And uh, I don't know if that means it will be the end of tomorrow or the exact 24-hour mark because it was about 10 in the morning last week where they decided my video that was already over 40 days old warranted throwing me in the clink. How do you like that? The video that I got tossed in the clink for was weeks old. By the time their automation found something in it it didn't like, flagged it, and nuked me. Wonderful. Good job, YouTube. You guys suck. You really do. And, uh, you know, this is what I would like. I'm stalling just a little bit to see if there's any more questions here um, before we fly. But what I, what I would like YouTube to do is simply when they tell you that they're removing your video for disinformation, what specific line, what specific thing did I say? I mean, given that your automation determined it, like what did your automation determine it based on? So that we know what we can and what we can't say, because it's dramatically inconsistent. There are a bunch of scumbags. Yes, if you work for Google, you work for scumbags. I'm not going to say you are a scumbag, but Google is run by scumbag traitorous maggots. I say when, when I upload this video, we'll see if that gets me thrown off. Anyway, I got no more questions, so we are going to wrap up. Let me remind you guys. If you like the work that I do and you want to help support the show, one of the ways you can do that is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. Now, it just came to my attention. The Nesco Carry Smart Pressure Canner is on sale 35% off today. These things go in and out of stock like crazy for some reason. They're back in stock and they're on sale. This is my go-to electric canner for doing small batch canning. I mean, I do four quarts at a time. That's actually quite a bit of stuff. We're heading into... That time of the year of serious abundance out of the garden, a good time to can. It's also a great pressure cooker, browning. It's like it's an Instapot that does canning and pressure cooking, right? So I guess Instapots do pressure cooking, but they don't do canning. And, again, it will hold four-quart jars, not pints, quarts. 
Um, whenever I bring this up, there is a uh, propensity of people to start freaking out and screaming, you're going to die of botulism or whatever. Those people don't know what they're talking about. I talk about people like this all the time. There are people that just shouldn't talk to other people. People that say that, those are those people. They just shouldn't talk to other people. They shouldn't associate with other people. They certainly shouldn't give other people advice. Okay? They don't, they don't need to be communicating with other humans because they're ignorant beyond words. Pressure, uh, steam under pressure, steam under pressure, whether the electric, let's say it's a, you get a pressure cooker and you put it on an electric stove or the heating element that heats up the pressure cookers inside the pressure cooker. It's the same difference. Uh, this is a com computer controlled uh, product. It auto vents. And if it, there's anything wrong with it, the cycle won't start. This thing I've been recommending for seven years. And I've heard from no one who says so-and-so ended up in the hospital or dead because of you. This is a company. It's a major brand that would have been sued into oblivion by now if this were an unsafe practice. And all that canned food you buy is all your automation, by the way, when they make it for you. So there's just a whole bunch of misinformation out here about this. There's a whole lot of canning, you know, information, et cetera, online that when you look at a website, unless you know what to look for, and sometimes you can't even find what to look, there isn't anything to look for. Without doing some research, you wouldn't even know when that information was published. Remember, we've been putting stuff online since the 90s. It's 2023. And that's kind of crazy, but the Internet, as we know it today, has been around almost 30 years at this point. Um, maybe more like 25, but it's a significant, significant period of time. And then so many people, when they put new information up, where do they get their information? They get it from old out-of-print books or they get it from old websites and they polish it up and make it look nicer. So a lot of these um, websites, resources, et cetera, that said never use an electric pressure cooker for canning. First of all, this is not a pressure cooker. It is a pressure canner. It is made to can. These resources were published before electric pressure canners existed. And they'll even say, like, there is no such thing as an electric pressure canner. Okay, well, I don't know. Five years ago, there was no such thing as COVID-19. Some people don't think they're still in, but, you know, it's flirting with getting banned again, I guess. But, you know, here's what I'm saying. How many things do we now have that if you go back far enough, we didn't have them? If you go back to 1995, you sure as hell didn't have a smartphone, did you? You might have had a mobile phone, but you didn't have a smartphone. So imagine you're reading something and it says, there is no such thing as a smartphone. You're like, this person's an idiot. Well, when did they publish the information? So that's kind of what I will uh, talk to you about. Bonnie ordered one of those today. I think you'll love it, Bonnie. They're a great product. Uh, and remember, you can always help support the show and the work that we do if you do your online shopping. Starting where? tspaz.com. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it today. Again, we'll be coming back. I'm going to do a show probably next week. We'll do this like a several week series. I think the next one I'm going to tackle is what is a good cover crop mix and what productive plants go in with a cover crop mix since that's the approach that I'm going to be taking. And then maybe we'll do a show the following week on production crops for fall and winter gardening like your brassias and things like that. Anyway, with that, I'll catch you guys tomorrow with another episode. Tomorrow will be a Tuesday. will be a Just Jack show. And uh, we have a really cool guest, uh, Morgan from Goldshaw Farm, coming on Wednesday. That should be a great interview. And I will catch you again tomorrow with another episode. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.